And I want to remind us a couple of important things that we've been looking at over the last few weeks because this passage is going to help us today think about when everything feels like it's out of control, that one of the things that is such good news is it is never out of control because God is always what? In control. God is always still sitting on the throne. Even when we don't understand what's going on, even though when we're feeling confused, when we feel the emotions of lament, like we talked about last week, and we look around and try to express what we're feeling to God, there's an important thing that happens, though, that we have to also stop and remember that we are living in a place that isn't our home. And so I just want to remind us of the truths of the last couple of weeks before we dive into this this text for today. In Jeremiah, we looked at what it meant to live as exiles, and that's a really important theme that we're going to keep coming back to a little bit here as we're going through the prophets, this idea of being in exile. And we tied that thread together with the New Testament where Jesus said this in John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting um, that I might not be delivered over to you, but my kingdom is not from this world. And then we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, and talking about the, the great hall of faith, and these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So that's where we started with two weeks ago, talking about being exiled, being apart from the kingdom that is one day going to come and be culminated when Christ's return. But until that, until that time, we're living here on earth and the kingdom is of heaven. And then last week, we talked about from Lamentations about the tool of sorrow when we're living in exile, going, this is not the way things should be. And, and I, I've just kind of been going through this this last uh, since Christmas, and I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, um, that since Christmas, three people that I knew back in my childhood grew up together in church and knew each other well back in those days, have lost some contact over the years, but three of them died since Christmas. And then just the other day, somebody posted on Facebook, one of my former students from Northwestern College, and I worked closely with his dad, was killed in a hit and run down in Minneapolis, just out for a jog. Young guy, 35 years old, a librarian, and you're just like, well, there are things, the point of all this was, we said last week, there are things that we should lament. There are things that happen in the real world and that we should be able to go, that is just awful. And when I read that article, I, I should have said that was just awful. I know that he's in heaven with the Lord, but that shouldn't be what's happening. And while we live in exile, those things happen. And so what we're talking about is Jeremiah, we're living in exile. Lamentation says during exile, we can lament and we can cry out to God and we can feel real emotions of sorrow and grief and confusion and frustration and all the things that happen. But in Daniel now, we're going to see the, the other part of the equation, the important part of the equation, and that is also the part of the equation of knowing the truth. This message is going to be about the truth that leads to perseverance and hope, remembering that God is in control. So on the one hand, lament is saying, ah, this is horrible. I can't believe this is happening. On the other hand, it's in this passage, we're going to look at believing the truth and understanding the truth helps me to persevere and to have hope. If we didn't have that, then lament isn't such a helpful tool. But the two of these things together become this helpful picture of how we're supposed to live in exile. So I want you to hold on to that idea of living in exile. I want you to remember what we talked about with lament and now seeing what we're going to look at when it comes to grabbing on to the truth. 
Let me just give you a, a little bit of the context. Daniel's a young man. Use your imagination. Old Testament is a great place to stop and use your imagination because these are real stories. And think about what if you were in this situation, okay? And so let's just think about it for a moment. Daniel, being a young man, was taken off into exile. A foreign army comes in, rips him away from his home, takes three of his friends along, and the four of them are taken off into exile. It's hard for us to even imagine that. But what if something like that were to happen to you? And so the Babylonians, they had this strategy. Whenever they would capture a group of people, they would take a large portion of them and bring them into their culture and try to assimilate them into their culture and, and get the best out of them so that they could serve them and, and actually flourish in that culture. So when, the, when Judah was taken off into captivity, they were taken into this culture that said, we're going to assimilate you so we can get the best out of you. So we're going to educate you and we're going to feed you well and we're going to do all these things so that you'll become part of our culture and we're going to take the best of your culture and integrate it into our culture. So that's what's happening with Daniel, this young man who was bright, who was talented, he was taken off and now is starting to be educated and prepared by the Babylonians to be, to be successful in Babylon. And so that's, that's how they did it, and that's where Daniel finds himself with these three friends. And then we get Jeremiah 29.7, back where we looked at two weeks ago, that these young men begin to seek the welfare of the city. This is what God told Jeremiah to tell the exiles. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And that's what's happening with Daniel and his friends. They've been trained They've been given the best of the best so that they could then bless the city, and they actually were trying to do that. And then this weird stuff happens. So there he is, in exile, trying to bless the city, trying to do all that he can to, to do the, be educated the way that they asked him to. He, he puts up one boundary when they were wanting to feed him in ways that he said, this doesn't work according to my culture and according to my religious beliefs. And so they said, okay, we'll let you eat just vegetables and we'll see how that turns out. And he flourished when he did that. All this is in chapter one. And so these guys are flourishing and they're being ready to help and make, a, and make an impact on the culture. And then this thing happens in chapter two. The king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Now I'm going to read a long section because chapter two is long and we're going to read it and comment on it as we go. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the, and now listen carefully to these things too because put yourself in any, pick any of the characters that we're going to look at and put yourself in their shoes and think what they might be thinking at this time. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Now listen to what they're doing now. These are supposed to be the wise men. These are the ones that he's trained, and he's put a lot of investment in them so that he can get information when he wants it from them, okay? And this is what they say. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation. That seems fair, right? You tell me the dream, and I'll give you an interpretation. The king is kind of wise on these guys, and he wants to know the real truth, and this is what he says. The king answers and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, 
this is what Nebuchadnezzar does. He says, you should, shall be torn from limb to limb and your house shall be laid to ruins. He does that several times throughout the, the book. <laughs> but if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So he's asking him, not only give me an interpretation, because he knows that if I tell you something, you're going to possibly just make up some kind of interpretation. What I want to know is if you can tell me what the dream was and interpret it for me. And these guys are standing there, and they said in verse 7, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretations. He's been suspicious of these guys and going, I don't think that you've really been giving me good information all along. And now if you're really who you say you are, then you should be able to tell me what the dream was. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician and enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, who dwell, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of the, this, the king was angry, verse 12, and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So he has the dream, he's troubled by the dream, all the wise men who he's been training and providing for, they can't, he asked them this impossible thing, tell me the dream and then interpret it. And they said, we can't do that. We have to know the dream first. And he says, if you can't, be, if you can't do both, then I, do, I don't believe that, that you're really who you say you are. And all this stuff and information you've been giving me all along, I'm, in, I'm suspicious of it and I don't think it's real. And so, verse 13, the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel and his three companions were part of this group. They weren't right there in the palace, but they were part of that community, and so they were going to be killed as well. And then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone to kill the wise men of Babylon. So the captain is out there getting ready to kill all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel just hears about it for the first time when he's, they're going to come to kill him. And with prudence and with wisdom, he declared... Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Daniel didn't even know why they were about to be killed. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, to some of you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to others of you Shadrach and Benny, if you know veggie tales. Um, and his companions, and he told them what was going to happen. And listen to verse 18, guys. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. So Daniel and his friends find himself in this category of wise men. God had given him the spirit of prudence and discretion and wisdom, and he saw the situation and he asked a question. He had this clear-minded and calm response in the midst of great crisis. I mean, picture it. They're coming to kill you now. And he keeps his head and he keeps his mind clear. And he asks for an appointment with the king. And then I just love in verse 18, because you actually see this combination of what we've been talking about. 
lament, and trusting in the truth. In this serious situation, they cry out to God, they lament, but they ask him for mercy. And they, because why do they ask him for mercy? Just think about that for a second. Because they know he's a merciful God. So here's the truth combined with the lament. They're crying out to God because they're about to be executed. And yet, they also know that God is merciful. And God is all-knowing. And God could reveal the dream to them. And so in that lament, they are also going, God, we know you're merciful. We know that you're all-knowing. You could help us to understand this dream. I think it's a beautiful picture, just a little verse there. But they're, they're looking for his mercy. And they're saying, Lord, you've got to meet us here. They're, they're asking for mercy, it says in verse 18, from the God of heaven. They know who they're talking to. And they know the truth, and that truth helps them in the time of lament. And God meets them there. And this is what it says. And the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel, listen to all the things Daniel does. So Daniel is laying there in the night. He gets a vision. God reveals it. The God of heaven who knows all things, who knows the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, took the dream, probably gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream, took the dream, showed Daniel what it was and what it meant. And when that happened, the mystery, the truth, was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Watch Daniel's response. He blesses the God of heaven. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. And here's the truth. To whom belong wisdom and might. He's saying, bless God. We cried out to him. We asked for his mercy. And he has wisdom and might. And he showed me the answer to, to what we were crying out for. He showed me what the dream was. And they know these things about God. Listen to what they know about him. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Please remember that every time we come to an election. God's in control of all of that. He removes the kings and he will set up the kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He's the one who will grant wisdom. He's the one who will grant knowledge and understanding. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. Isn't that amazing? The God of heaven, Daniel says, will reveal deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I love these pictures because deep and hidden things. Do you know that you and I know things about God now because of the Holy Spirit revealing his word to us? It's always through his word, and it's always consistent with his word. But there were things we would not have known without the help of the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you remember maybe in your journey, was there ever a time before you came to know Christ that you read the Bible and you said, it doesn't make any sense. I've had hundreds of people literally tell me that over the years. And then they come to faith and they're like, it makes so much sense. Because <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit helping people to see and revealing things from his word. And I love where he says he knows what is in the darkness because it's what's in the darkness that scares us. Because who doesn't know what's in the darkness? I don't know. I don't know what's out there. So it scares me. I do, but he knows. And 
Daniel is saying that should give us relief because these are the things we know about God. He, he changes seasons. He removes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and he is the light. And then he goes on to say, to you, O God, my Father, I give thanks and praise. Can you just picture him laying there going like, I got it. I understand. I know the vision, and I know the interpretation of the vision, and I just want to praise God for that. I give thanks and praise. For, for what? For you have given me wisdom and might, and you have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Isn't it great how he responds? Lament, crying out for mercy. God reveals, and he doesn't go, oh, I must be something special because God revealed it to me. No, he's going, God, you are amazing. You are something special. Blessed be the God of heaven who made this known to us. We had asked for it, and he made it known to us. You see, he, he's re, re, understanding, but also growing in his understanding of who God is and the truth about God. Not only is he lamenting his circumstance, he is holding on to the truth of he, who he knows God to be. And God is showing him even more truth about who he is. And as Daniel is sitting there, his mind is being blown by who God is. Whoa, he knows the hidden things. He knows all things. And he has wisdom and might, and he has chosen me and has given me this knowledge so, so that I might live and others might live. And he's just astonished by it. And so he gives them praise and thanks. And so this is what happens next, verse 24. So after that, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Now, listen to the answer to that question. This is awesome. Daniel answered the king, No. No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. So there's Daniel. Man, this would have been a great opportunity for him, right? For self-promotion. And he says, no. There's no one alive that could interpret this. And he's reminding him how difficult it is so that he will know that it had to be God who did it. But there's a God in heaven, he said. So there he is, holding on to the truth. There's a God in heaven. And this God can reveal mysteries. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he has blessed you by showing you something. He didn't have to show you this, but he is. And so he goes on to say, verse 29, To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So he's saying all of this is just from God. There is a God in heaven 
the only God, and he knows what is going on everywhere all the time. Listen, if you don't remember anything else today, would you remember that? If you've lost me, would you come back right now? Because this is so important. There is a God in heaven, the only God, and he knows what is going on everywhere all the time in all of its minute details. That should be a truth that you and I hold on to. So when lament comes along, I can also hold on to that truth that God knows what's going on everywhere all the time, and including in my life. And so then Daniel goes on to say, verse 31, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Now he's telling him what the dream was. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest, now use your imagination, its chest of arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the winds carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. So he told him the dream, and now he's going to interpret it. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and in whose hands he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and making you rule over all of them, you are the head of gold. He's saying you've been really successful, and actually it's God who's allowed you to do that. And he says, you're the head of gold, and another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all things. Verse 41, as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And then, here it is. This is what it's all about. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another per other people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. All of it is boiled down to right there what this is all about. And just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. The king then, King Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him rule over the whole province of Babylon and chief perfecter of all the wise men of Babylon. 
And Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And Daniel remained at the king's court. He has this huge vision, and I think we might even have an image of that vision. Maybe the next slide. Nope. <laughs> we got lost there. There was an there a, a, a image, and you can Google it, and you can look up how, how people have envisioned that, that statue. And then, there we go, there we go. And what we believe is that actually we can know what some of those kingdoms were and what they were that followed. And we believe that the Babylonian kingdom lasted till 539 B.C. And then the Persians took over from there. And then Greece came over from there. And Alexander the Great, real people and real history. And then the Roman Empire. And then after that, the feet of, of iron and clay of all of the nations that arose after all of that. And those are the... the nations that, that Daniel is seeing and telling him about and telling this great king Nebuchadnezzar about. And, and so he's, I'm giving you a vision. And, and then some people even take the book of Daniel and say, oh, it had to be written way later than what we say because how could he have predicted all of that? Well, that's what a prophet inspired by God can do, right? And so we, we do know that part of the story. But where I really want to wrap us up today and focus us in is in verse 44. That's the thread. That's what it's all about. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall not be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And it talks about a great stone and a great rock that will break the feet of the statue, and the statue will fall. Jump forward to the New Testament with me, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, when Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And probably even more applicable would be Matthew 21, 44, where Jesus himself says this, and the one who falls on this stone, meaning him, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Do you see how this is connected and how Daniel was saying, hey, these are, there are kingdoms to come, Nebuchadnezzar. And we know that there will be these kingdoms and they will look like this. But there will be one who will come at some point and destroy all of that and will set up his kingdom. And the exiles will no longer be in exile. Do you see how this is all working together? This theme of exile, this theme of lamenting, being carried off into exile, and then waiting on the faithfulness of God. In the Old Testament, there was 70 years, and then they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. But they still were being um, controlled by all these other kingdoms. So they were never independent after that. They were waiting, just like we wait for that time when Christ will return and fulfill his kingdom promises and create a new kingdom and that stone will fall and crush and that stone will also bring to life it's an amazing picture see Daniel is living in exile he's seeking the welfare of the city he laments and cries out to God when his life is threatened and God hears him and responds but in his response God gives him a vision of something way greater than just saving his life See, that's where it's sometimes hard for us. 
it's hard for us to think of something way bigger than just my life. And God has a plan for something way bigger than just what's happening in, in my life. While he cares deeply about what hap is happening in my life, it's part of this whole big plan and picture. So God is giving Daniel a vision of something far greater, that a stone that will crush all the previous kingdoms. And what is contrary, and, and this is really important, I'm coming, I'm wrapping up here, okay? What is contrary to our way of thinking is this stone that is going to crush all these other kingdoms will do it by being crushed himself. That's what's so counterintuitive and can be so hard for us sometimes because we think kingdoms are based on missiles and planes and power and armies. And Jesus comes and says, no, it's based on me dying and being crushed. So Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. In 1 Peter 2.24, Peter says, he himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. By his crushing, by his demise, we are liberated and set free and healed. And by him being willing to be crushed, he then became a stone that could crush kingdoms, but the greatest kingdom that he could crush is the kingdom of sin and death, right? And so Jesus, again, in Matthew 18, that I referred to earlier, says, my kingdom's not of this world. It's totally different. And if you want to follow me, you've got to be about a kingdom that's not of this world. If you want to be consumed by the kingdoms of the world, it's going to be hard to be my disciple. If you want to be my disciple and you see that you live in exile and you're worried about a different kingdom, you're focused on another kingdom, then I can come alongside you and help you with that process by showing you mercy and revealing truth to you about who I am so that you have something real and tangible to hold on to during the midst of the lament and the midst of the exile something real and tangible, and real and tangible that there is a Jesus who came and was crushed and died on our behalf, and he loves us, and he bore his sin in his body, and he wants us to know him. The most amazing thing to me of the gospel is that God wants me to know him and to have a real relationship with him. And all of this had to happen, Christ dying and all of that, in order for us to have that relationship. And it's just amazing that he would do all of that. So what do we do with this? Here's my call to you today. Let's live as exiles and feel the emotion of an exile while holding on to the truth. And here's the truth. The kingdoms of this world are going to come and go. We could even see evidence of that in that statue. But God's people will be established forever. Kingdoms will come and go. Presidents will come and go. Congresses will come and go. Even our nation could come and go. Who knows? But God's people will be established forever. What else do we do as we live as exiles? We hold on to the truth that God is in control and his kingdom is everlasting. God is sovereignly in control and he's a, king that is a kingdom that is everlasting and we're part of it. So take a deep breath. In the midst of all of the pain and the struggle, 
at least hold on to that God is in control and his kingdom will last forever. Third, I'm going to invite you to pray that you'll grow in trust and faith. While we live in exile, sometimes I just need to pray, Lord, help me to grow in trust and faith in you. I was just thinking about this this week. This verse just kept coming back to me. And it's from Luke chapter 10, verse 42. This is the Mary and Martha story. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I found myself saying, I need to grow in trust and faith Instead of being worried and anxious about many things, troubled about many things. And I'm sure many of you are experiencing that as well. And Martha was worried about many things, and it was Mary who was just sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning. Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Martha was over here working, working, working. My prayer is that you'll walk away from here today and that you will pray that the Lord will help you to trust and have faith because That helps us with the anxiety and the troubles that we feel to know that I can hold on to him. Many of us are anxious and troubled about many things. And what we really need is to hold on to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I trust you. I don't get how all this works, but I'm just going to hold on today. And finally, I'm going to invite you to put your faith in the one who is crushed. The one who crushed the kingdoms of this world by being crushed so that he could bear our sins in his body so that we might be healed. That's an awesome invitation. You know, I always say I'm a preacher of good news because it's so awesome to invite you to this. <laughs> I invite you to this this morning to put your faith in the one who, who will crush the kingdoms and he will do that by being crushed and he did all that by bearing our sins in his body so that we might be healed. I invite you to that today. I invite you to all of this because there's a God up in heaven who's merciful and gracious and he wants you to know it and he wants you to know that he's in control. He wants you to know the truth about who he is. Yes, we can come and lament to him while we live in exile, but while we lament, we also need to hold on to the truth while we're in exile because the truth is where we find healing and relief. And Daniel said, maybe the Lord will have mercy Why did he do that? Because he knew that God was a merciful God. And he showed mercy. God has shown us all grace and mercy. Every one of us in this room. Amen? Isn't that amazing?